Okay, we are beginning Sefer Chagai, the 10th of the 12 Treosar Nevi'im. And if I may add a personal note, um, we are recording today's year from Yerushalayim. And it is so marvelously appropriate that Chagai deals totally with telling the Jews of the diaspora that are prosperous and well, your place is in Yerushalayim. So that no matter where you are, it still is to form the centrality of your life. So, Dai Remes Lahakiro. So, Chagai is a fascinating, fascinating Navi. Although he his total prophetic output is 38 psukim. Only Obadja at 21 has less psukim. And his two prokim span really a total of four months, all in the reign of Daryevesh, Darius of Persia, in his second year. And yet, despite the brevity of the output, there probably is no more prophet who is singularly connected to the rebuilding of Bayez Cheney. He is literally the right man at the right time. It's a very strange, complex time, and we should take uh, a few minutes to just look at the timeline of Haggai and the period that produced him. We are in the Golos of Bavel, we being when the Navi starts. And you will recall the people of Israel have been weaned on prophecies of Yirmiyahu and of um, Yeshayahu and Yechezkel, that after 70 years, they are going to see a redemption. They are going to be led back to Eretz Yisrael, where they are to build a second temple with greater glory and greater um, inspiration from the house of David, culminating in the Mashiach. And so the anticipation is so high and the expectation is so large that when the realities begin to intrude, on the expectations, as they do here, Haggai has to come to the rescue, sort of be the right man at the right time to see this through to the end. So what are we talking about? We know that we have been told that 70 years into the Golis of Bavel, you will be returned to your land in Yerushalayim, and uh, you will rebuild a temple even greater and more glorious than the Bayes Rishon. So now what happens is it is by some calculations, not all of them, 70 years since Bavel. Two, miraculously, overnight, Bavel disappears. The mightiest empire in the world is taken over by the Persians. And Bavel disappears without a trace. So far, this feeds right in to that story of, of the Hizchalta de Geula, the Bias HaMashiach, etc. 
In addition, the personnel selected to lead B'nai Israel is without question the most muhistic and generically sound that there could be. Because the two leaders who have been chosen are Zrubovel, who traces his lineage back directly to David HaMelech, which is a prerequisite that the king of the rebuilt Israel has to be from Mashiach, based David, from Malchus based David. And Zubevel has the perfect uh, lineage. He has the perfect pedigree. In addition, there is Yoshua ben Yehotzadak, Kohen Gadol. He is the son of the last Kohen Gadol of Bayes Rishon. So the people see these signs 70 years. Um, you have Zerubbabel to lead as the governor. You have Yoshua ben Yosadak, who is going to be Kohen Gadol. This is the Bias Goel. We're ready. And then reality intrudes on these expectations. For one, not everybody leaves to go. By estimate of the Mephorshim, 42,000 of the total population, some argue it's only the men, so there are really more, but 42,000 some odd people are going on that first expedition back to Jerusalem. Two, despite their dreams of building the most magnificent edifice one can imagine, they have no money. There's no money to build it. Three, they are in the middle of a tremendous drought and famine. Four, the Gemara in Yuma tells us there are at least five things that were in the bias Rishon that will not be in the bias Shani. One is the Aaron, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Two, the Urim Vitumim. Three, the Kruvim. And it goes on and on so that they begin to question, well, what kind of base hamikdash can this be? We don't have money. Not everyone's going. Moreover, they realize they're not going back as a sovereign state. They are still a vassal state subject to the whims of Persia and King Koresh. They have no autonomy. Zubabel isn't designated their king. He's designated as their governor. And so in their mind, it begins to fall apart. Then what happens is that despite Koresh's original edict, and it's in Ezra, Perak Aleph, Pasuk Beis, which we will learn, Koresh, or as we call him historically, Cyrus the Great of Persia, says, Koamar Koresh, Melech Paras, king of Persia, Kol mamleches ha'aretz nasanli, Hashem, God has given me every province in the world, v'hu pokad olai livnot li bias b'yerushalayim asher b'yehuda. He has designated me to build him the house in Yerushalayim, which is in Judea. So, 
despite these obstacles, you have all the things almost in place. The perfect leader in Zubavel, the perfect Kohen Gadol in Yeshua, the order of the king telling them, the proclamation saying, go, I, I completely support this. The 70 years having theoretically passed. And then it all hits them. It's not going to be the same temple. It's not going to be, there's no money. What do we do? And so they become very despondent. And then comes an added factor that so dispirits them. There are groups in the land of Israel itself, probably inhabited there by um, Sancheriv. You will recall Sancheriv's policy of settlement was to move nations all about, Bilbul Ha'amim, the Mephoshim say. And so one of the groups that were imported to inhabit and populate Israel were the Shomronim, what we call the Samaritans. And so the Shomronim certainly aren't Jewish, in fact, most consider them pagan, approach Zerubbabel and say, we want to help. We want to be part of this wonderful endeavor. We believe in it. Zerubbabel, by any halacha, has to tell them no. You can't be, we appreciate it, but you cannot be part and parcel of the building, working the korbanos, cannot happen. And so what they do, and by the way, some of Farshim say these Shomronim knew just what they were doing and were deliberately trying to um, infuse themselves into the building of the temple so they could undermine it. They go back to Koresh and to the Persians and say it's, this is no good what they're doing. They're not loyal. They're not um, loyal and patriotic to Persia. They are going to undermine it. And they give the order to stop, stop the temple. And so this completely dispirits them. The, the combination is just too much, in fact, for them to bear. And then... 17 years later, the order is given by Koresh's grandson, Daryavesh, and the Navi tells him, as we're going to see, don't worry about the money, just go. The money will be there. And sure enough, Daryavesh, when he sends them this time after the 17-year um, cessation of building, says anything you need. I'm going to give you the money. I'm going to raise the money. So then it's almost prophetically now ordained. The mood swing is gigantic from great expectation to dashed expectation to now Haggai rekindles their expectation and says, do not worry. The Kaddish Baruch Hu has promised you. Moreover, they show them that that 70 years calculation is based on when Nebuchadnezzar takes power. It is not based in reality on the destruction of the bias Rishon, which is 17 years later. So now it is 70 years. Haggai's job has now going to be to get these dispirited people and get them believing once again in the messianic dream that it is achievable, that their place is in Israel, not Bavel. And so we will see 
how this great Navi, by his only two Navuos, galvanized an entire dispirited nation in Golas and get them to go back to Yerushalayim and start the dream of Meshichus, start the dream of Abayas Shani, again with a direct descendant of David in command, a Kohen Gadol descended from the last Kohen Gadol in Bayas Rishon. So we will start with Haggai tomorrow, 8.45 a.m. You will not want to miss it. Be there.